You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 114, Becoming the Archetype, hosted by Dan Terry. This is not the same band. This is bullshit. And Joe Wren. Yeah, Joe's pretty much a genius with this stuff, so he makes us sound good. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you require fire to reach celestial completion, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, and we are talking about becoming the archetype. Becoming the death archetype therapy. I'm not so sure that's how it happened. I don't know, man. Some of this shit's pretty therapeutic. Sounds like revisionist history to me. Maybe a little bit. Sometimes whenever you hear the things that come after, they make you appreciate the things that came before. In all seriousness, Becoming the Archetype is not a band I've listened to a lot, but having listened to the entire discography, I can see where Jason Wisdom pulled some of that death therapy from. Well, at the very least, he pulled some of the bass parts from some of these songs. You're saying he just flat out stole the bass lines? I don't think that he did that. I would never accuse our beloved Jason Wisdom of doing such a thing. In case you want to hear us talk to Jason Wisdom, we actually did a while back. We had an entire discussion about living sacrifice. So Joe's going to link that in the show notes for you guys to listen to. It's so much fun. He talks about the first Death Therapy album a little bit. But going back to Becoming the Archetype. So you guys may not know that back in 2003 or so, Living Sacrifice, one of the greatest bands to ever exist, that thankfully exists again today, well, they called it quits back in 2003. Might have been 04. I don't really remember. I remember being devastated. I like cried at school. It was very awkward. It was like the middle of gym class. A lot of people made fun of me. It was a lot of fun. It was a whole lot of, I'm going to listen to Zayo now. Dude, you were listening to Zayo before. I was listening to Zayo while I was crying. It's part of <laughs> it's part of the experience of listening to Zayo. You know, if you change the words around in Five Year Winter, you could lead with death therapy. Uh, I don't I don't hear that, but you know, go ahead and try it. If you if you've got you know some Zayo on cassette, just send it to me. Don't try it. There was a couple <laughs> of bands that came out around that time that tried to more or less bear the torch of Living Sacrifice. They wanted to be like that Christian metal band, the one that kind of filled that void because there really weren't a lot of bands like Living Sacrifice at the time that played kind of that Sepultura inspired metalcore, you know, with like a lot of weird beats and extra percussionists and and all that good stuff. So we wanted what people started calling a real metal band to pick up the torch. And we kind of got that with Demon Hunter, but not really. Like Demon Hunter sounded like uh, a little bit like Living Sacrifice. Remember, they took some inspiration from Living Sacrifice. But for the most part, Demon Hunter was, well, Demon Hunter. You can go back and listen to that episode if you want. I remember being stuck on Soul Embraced. Yeah, Soul Embraced was a good good one. They, they actually continued for a little bit after Living Sacrifice was gone because, you know, they had time. So is Becoming the Archetype one of those bands that tried to duplicate Living Sacrifice but ended up just grabbing hold of everything metalcore and seeing what stuck? Not at all. I don't think they were trying to sound like Living Sacrifice, but they definitely gave off the same vibe as being this like bold, confident Christian metal band. And the first time I heard about Becoming the Archetype was in 2004 when they were just signed to Solid State Records. Actually, it may have been 2005, realistically, because we were doing the Centurion Outpost magazine at that time. And I remember actually reaching out to Jason on, well, AOL. It wasn't Instant Messenger, but I sent him a, I sent him a bunch of questions for the magazine. 
via via my AOL account, which he made fun of me for on the Living Sacrifice episode. <laughs> so we did an interview, and he talked about you know this album, Terminate Damnation, that they were going to put out, and some of the stuff that he said was that you know this was going to be different than what you would expect from metalcore because by 2005 people were starting to get irritated with the whole like Azalea dying kill switch engage style of metalcore and becoming the archetype was basically trying to say we play metalcore but we have all these other metal influences so our influences range from you know like stuff like Opeth you know to Extol to you know uh, some of the metalcore some of the early metalcore stuff so you can hear a lot of those different influences on Terminate Damnation. As a matter of fact, you can hear all of them. This band wears their influences on their sleeve. And when you least expect it, they pull out some classic 80s thrash with a acoustic interlude. And then they do another one later on. Yeah, don't get me started on those acoustic interludes, Joe. There's a few too many of them on the album. Why are they not okay, but the opening of Battery is okay? Because that's the only thing on that album that sounds like that. Speaking more specifically about Master of Puppets, not Terminate Damnation. <laughs> With all that out of the way, though, I remember seeing Becoming the Archetype at Cornerstone in 2005, and they re- they were handing out samplers. And I remember specifically because I was wearing an Opeth shirt in the merch tent, and Jason Wisdom yells, Hey, you, dude in a metal shirt, come here. So I walked over and um, got a T-shirt and some stickers, and he gave me the sampler, and it had two songs on it. I believe one of them was the song The Epigon, and the other one was the song LG. Now, LG is interesting because it's 11 fucking minutes long, and it tells you everything you need to know about Become the Archetype in 11 minutes. It's got Ryan Clark from Demon Hunter doing guest vocals on it. At the time, I was like, this is a slam dunk. Uh, I saw the band play live. They played a whole bunch of songs. They were great. I thought Jason Winston sounded like a goddamn demon on the microphone. Was this pre-Summer of Darkness? I don't know. I think Summer of Darkness came out in 03. Or maybe it might have been 03 or 04 or Summer of Darkness. You are correct. Yeah. 2004. So this was right before the triptych. I remember thinking that the death metal vocals that Jason Wisdom did were, like, incredible. Listening to them now, I'm like, wow, yeah, they used a lot of effects. But the, on, the, on the album, they used the effects. Live, he sounds like this. So, it, you know, either he figured it out beforehand and they recorded that, or he figured it out afterwards how to make it sound like it did on the album. Not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg. Even today, listening to Death Therapy, his extreme vocals are one of my favorites because they don't suffer from the mid-90s trash that I talked about on the Craig episode where, yeah, he's growling, but he's just kind of yelling his way through the lyrics and you can't understand him. Jason Wisdom's style is to say very loudly what he wants you to hear. It just ends up sounding like this. Yes, he's very articulate. That's a huge plus for a band like this because that's what Living Sacrifice was like. So when I first heard Terminate Damnation, I was like, oh my God, I've got this great metal band that's kind of like, gives me a similar vibe to Living Sacrifice. They don't sound the same. I don't think they even play the same style really, but uh, it's just a vibe. And whenever you're living in the limited world of Christian metal, you know, you kind of have to just make those connections in order to make yourself feel better or something. But uh, Terminate Damnation is a hell of an album. It is very well produced. Like, it is very punchy. It still sounds good. All these years later, I could put this thing in the car and just blast. But there's a couple of problems I have with it. Too many instrumentals. 
Like, yes, I get it. You guys can fucking play. That's great. First track is an instrumental with some, like, bad-sounding keyboards. It's, it kind of bothers me. Into Oblivion is a banger. One Man Parade's a banger. You know, you get into you get into uh, the song LG, and I'd say about four to five minutes of it are banger, and then the rest of it is just, like, this, like, slow, piano-driven dirge that goes on for way too fucking long and then builds up at the end. It's like you could cut probably, like, six minutes out of this song and just have a decently length, like, five to six-minute song. I think the early 2000s metalcore was the nail in the coffin for the early to late 70s progressive rock choices being made on albums. The artistic choice to write this long song, but in the middle there's kind of a improvisational piano piece that to the modern ear sounds completely out of place and doesn't make any sense, but super fans justify it as a well-thought-out creative decision. 2112 by Rush, this is not. Not even close. I guess really my issue with it isn't the song itself. I think the song itself is fine. I think the fact that they follow it up with Night Sorrow, which is a slow acoustic, like, um, what's the word for it? Just like classical acoustic guitar piece. That's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm not a fucking music teacher. But, uh, and like, that sounds really cool, too. You're a lead singer. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> nothing, for, nothing for me to do on this shit. Pack it up. Let's go. Actually, this is a really good time to go get a beer, you know, during uh, <laughs> during something like this. Uh, but, yeah, the issue I have with it, though, is that it just doesn't need to be right after a song that was 11 minutes long, and most of that 11 minutes was, like, a slow piano piece. When did we stop listening to a metal album? I'd say probably about, I don't know, nine minutes ago. When did we decide it was a good idea to stop breaking up albums into 11 and 12 minute chunks that really are three, four minute chunks. Was it about this time? Is the this advent when- of the CD, really. You want to have as many little tracks as you can so that people can get to whatever parts they like the most on the composition as a whole. Even today, I listen to some albums and my first thought is I don't need the first two minutes of this track every time I listen to it. It's like putting the DVD in and having to watch the FBI warning and the previews and the little studio monologue about how it's Warner Brothers. Guys, I own the disc. I watched the ads. I just want to watch the film now. You got my money. I don't need to waste two minutes of my life every time I put this disc in. I don't need to listen to the middle four minutes of whatever's going on in Elegy after I've already listened to it. I think as a consumer, or at least as somebody who listens to metal and says, okay, now I've listened to your album, let me listen to the pieces I like, I don't need the 11-minute tracks anymore. Well, don't misunderstand me. I think LG's a fine song on its own. But to put an instrumental piece like Night Sorrow right after it is a sequencing mistake. And yes, I'm calling it a mistake because... I don't understand how a team of people looked at this and said this was a good idea because we kind of already had so much instrumental anyway up to that point. So then you go into the Epigon. Understand, the Epigon's probably my favorite Become the Archetype song. Like, the guitar lines in this just, they just, they make me happy. Like, in my lower nether region area. 
I love I love this song. But even then, it starts off like very ethereal, you know, uh, keyboards and stuff like that. Luckily, you know, Jason comes in and screams. And that's like the point of the album where you wake up again because you fell asleep somewhere in the middle of Elegy. You slept for 15 minutes and now all of a sudden you're back to listening to a metal album. This also ties into my mid-2000s melodic death metal, death clock wannabe sound that I like so much. Like this was heavily borrowed from this style of song in the mid 2000s. I think the death clock comparisons are a little unfair. Just this, this song. Was, just think, this song. I think this was before Metalocalypse. Oh, it absolutely yeah, was. I just want to make that clear that we're not like <laughs> Dan wants to define the origin. That well, that we're just not saying that, but like the rest of the album's great though. That's the whole thing. I think this record has a great first half, a really soggy midsection. It, it's like me, you know, like very strong foundation. You know, then soggy midsection, and then you know, beautiful face. You know, and the, the the beautiful face is the last half of the album, which has some of their best songs on it, and uh, and I love that. Uh, I wasn't thrilled about there being another instrumental track before the end, but I'm gonna go ahead and just let it go because I fucking beat this horse to death now on this album. I'm making it sound like I don't like it, but I guarantee you, Terminate Damnation is one of the finest metal albums you'll hear. I just think that the band was young and they just wanted to prove how metal they were by filling up as many minutes on the disc as they could. You want to move on to the physics of fire or you want me to uh, do the ad read? I don't really want to move on to the physics of fire, but uh, yeah, I guess go ahead and do the ad read while I go get a beer. While Dan gets a beer in anticipation of the physics of fire, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion, and we love them because they make us feel good. But really, more than anything, it helps us know how we're doing. If we've been doing something terrible, let us know. If we've been doing great things, let us know. You see, everything is run by algorithms on Facebook and on iTunes, or I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts. Everything is run by search algorithms. So it's going to search and it's going to find and it's going to recommend things that are highly rated. That's why we ask for ratings. No other reason. So leave us a five-star review. 2007, The Physics of Fire. A few things need to be mentioned about The Physics of Fire before we get into the album. The first thing is... That was the first thing. Oh, yeah. The first thing is that they had a guitarist change. They had a guy playing on Terminate Damnation named John Starr. He quit the band. And uh, so they needed a guitarist very quickly. So they picked the greatest fucking guitarist that they could find with uh, Mr. Alex Kinnis of another band that we love a lot called Alathian. I don't think that we have sung the praises of Alex Kinnis enough on this podcast. I mean, we, we definitely did on the Alathian episode. The dude's a genius. He's a mad scientist. He's amazing. So whenever I found out that they had Alex on guitar, I thought, oh, that's great. This is going to be even more insane than Terminate Damnation. And I know that Alex had this really nice singing voice, and I was like, okay, they might actually add some clean vocals to this. Because something we didn't mention, Terminate Damnation, no clean vocals at all. It's all wisdom all the time. 
Except when it's just an acoustic guitar. Right. But it's basically the Jason Wisdom Show, as opposed to Death Therapy, which is actually the Jason Wisdom Show. Physics of Fire was highly anticipated. I couldn't have been more excited about this album coming out. And I remember waiting and waiting and waiting and buying it at Best Buy on New Release Tuesday, where you could get Solid State Records releases for $7.99 each. Ah, the glory days. I get the CD, I pop it in my car, turn it all the way up. The first thing I notice is that it doesn't really have the punch that Terminate Damnation had. It definitely feels quieter. It's much quieter. And that's fine. I mean, dynamic range is a thing, right? I mean, the, the quiet parts are supposed to be quiet, and the loud parts are supposed to be loud. This is 2007. We were losing the war. This is when the loudness wars were really in full effect, and everybody was trying to compress and be louder and compress and be louder. And Alex Kinnis was back here going, I'm going to EQ the shit out of this guitar. I don't know how much Alex had to do with the production. I want to say if he had a lot to do with it, it would sound better than it does. I just think of the dude as like a total genius as far as guitar and uh, and, and, and production quality goes. And this dude like built his own shit to record Alathian albums that, you know, sounded self-recorded, but were like the best sounding self-recorded albums you could get. I don't know. Some of the clean vocals on those records were not very pristine. Well, let's talk about that on this record because it, this suffers from the same problem. Alathian is a very extreme metal band. They're not a metalcore band. And even though Become the Archetype would like you to believe that they are also not a metalcore band, they are. And I think a lot of the time, the biggest problem with this band is they forget that. So they make choices that are very, like, look at how metal we are. Look at all the different metal influences we have. But they forget that, you know, the people that like Terminate Damnation just wanted to dance in a pit. They forget about all that. And this record goes for the throat as far as wanting to be this huge concept. I don't think that your second album should be a concept album. Over time, my opinion has become you have to earn the concept album. Arguably the best concept record, Colors. It didn't start as a concept album. In reality, it may not actually be one, but it plays like a concept album. From beginning to end, it is one piece of music. It is one composition. And it respects the listener by breaking it up into the obvious sections, or colors, as it were. Between the Buried and Me had three releases prior to that album. Yes. And that album was a mistake. I don't think they set out to write it that way, but that's what it became. I question anybody that sets out to write a concept album that has not successfully delivered multiple albums of listenable, credible, and fucking amazing otherwise songs. Well, the problem with the Physics of Fire is that it doesn't remember who its audience is. This sounds like the band that recorded Terminate Damnation, basically. You it can, also kind of sounds like Opeth. It sounds a little bit like Opeth. It actually doesn't sound that much like Alathian, which I was a little disappointed with, to be honest. But, you know, Alex will not be put in a box. Or he'll build a bigger box that's better. And more sound efficient. Exactly. I just remember these songs sounding a little bit tired. Like they were a little bit more played out. And like I said, there are some really good songs on this album, but it's so up its own ass as far as concept goes. It's just like fire this and fire that and the fall of man. And it's just, it's so much more complex than Terminate Damnation. 
And it could just be one of those things where I don't get it. Like, I admit that the album, like, when I listened to I hated it when it first came out. And I hated it for years. And whenever we did the listen through for this episode, I was like, this isn't so bad. I think this is actually okay. Uh, but it's not its not amazing. Like, you go back and listen to Tournament Animation, you're like, oh, this is great. And to have such an upgrade in guitarists, I would have thought, like, oh, this dude's going to shred, shred, shred and sing all over the record. Well, he does one of those things. He sings a lot. But it doesn't really work in the context of, like, a metalcore-influenced band. I'm not saying that he has to have emo vocals or whatever, but he, he goes into that, like, vibrato that just doesn't really match the tone of the songs like his voice sounds good but he's like buried in the mix like like even i think they weren't sure if they wanted him to be able to take lead so they kind of turned him down a little bit which is really noticeable whenever there's like not that much going on and it's just him singing and you're kind of like why is he so quiet if he's supposed to be the center point like what i'm supposed to be focused on then why why is he so quiet it was the early 2000s. Metalcore liked to put the clean vocals in the background. They liked to take a back seat. Even Demon Hunter back in 2002, like Infected, the clean vocals are noticeably lower than the screamed vocals. Well, uh, Jason Wisdom's vocals are notably toned down from Terminate Damnation. Uh, the aggressive death metal vocals that he had kind of established on that record are not here at all. It's, it's more of just a dry scream. I don't want to say it's flat. I mean, he still sounds intense. You know, like I couldn't scream that long and, and still sound that good over an extended period of time, but it's okay. Like that's, that's all I can say about Physics of Fire is that it had so much going for it. It had the potential to be great, but I don't think it's an amazing follow-up to Terminate Damnation. And I think if I didn't know better, I would think that this album came out first and then was followed by, like, Terminate Damnation and Dichotomy. 2008, Dichotomy. I'm pretty sure this is the album I have seen you listen to the most by Becoming the Archetype. Yeah, this album, well, I listened to Terminate Damnation on the disc, and there's no way to really keep track of that. Uh, but with Dichotomy in 2008, Alex Kennis has left the band, and returning guitarist John Starr uh, is on this album. And this album, for all intents and purposes, is more like Terminate Damnation. But they've taken some of that up their own acidness. I need to like copyright that word. But it took the it took the pretentiousness of the Physics of Fire, and it added to the Terminate Damnation sound. So in a lot of ways, Dichotomy sounds like the true follow-up to Terminate Damnation, more so than Physics of Fire did. It was kind of a return to form but with more progressive elements thrown in. But I love the way it sounds, and I think a lot of that we can credit to the producer, who is none other than Devin Townsend. Well, that takes everything I have to say away from me and just says, the answer is Devin Townsend, ladies and gentlemen. And John Starr. What is the message that Becoming the Archetype is presenting? What are they trying to tell me? Up to this point, I enjoy the albums, but I'm having the same challenge you are. I don't have a lot of nice things to say because it's it's not negative, but it's not like this grandiose thing that I can put on a pedestal. Becoming the Archetype up till now is just a metalcore band that's playing a cut above everybody else. Right, which is what, be, which is what Between the Buried and Me was for a long time. And obviously it worked out really well for them. 
So is becoming the archetype trying the same market? Maybe. And actually, I was going to talk about that as far as market goes. I think the biggest problem with term. I'm sorry. I think the biggest problem with becoming the archetype is that they cater to so many different audiences on each album. Because, like, the Solid State Kids, we all love Terminate Damnation. Like, that's great. But the Physics of Fire seems to be more for, like, people to listen to shit like Dream Theater. You know, I mean, granted, I, I don't think that Dream Theater fans would actually like that. But I think, like, maybe the band thought they would. I, I don't know. When I listen to the Physics of Fire, I'm like, who is this for? And then I listen to Dichotomy, and I'm like, okay... So you might have got some of the fans back from Terminate Damnation, but you're still, it seems like you're, you're aiming for that progressive metal crowd. But the problem is, is those people don't want anything to do with metalcore, and that's still what the bones of your band is. I think it's kind of a wash. I think, I think Dichotomy wins because it has really good fucking songs on it. Um, you know, The Mountain... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it's called Mountain of Souls is what opens it up. Uh, the song Dichotomy brings Ryan Clark from Demon Hunter back. You know, and I think in a lot of ways, it's like, look, guys, it's like Terminate Damnation again. You know, um, Artificial Immortality has literally one of the coolest fucking breakdowns I've ever heard from a band, like ever, where Jason Wisdom's like, I am not a mechanism. I am part of the resistance. I am an organism, an animal, a creature, and he yells, I am a beast, and it's just fucking great. So is this metalcore, or is this melodic death metal? It's metalcore, but it wants you to think it's progressive death metal, and that, that kind of describes the whole band. So what we have here is metalcore that is not the Under Oath-influenced hardcore. It is also not the Gothenburg-influenced Killswitch Engage, or As I Lay Dying. No, the bones of, of metalcore in this band are definitely more of the old-school idea where they're taking, like, metal riffs, and, like, they're taking metalcore riffs and breakdowns and stuff, and they're using, like, traditional metal song structures, if that makes sense. Because, like, you know, we talked about, you know, bands like Shadows Fall when they first started. It was just a bunch of riffs thrown together. And that's like what old metalcore was. This is taking those ideas, but structuring them on top of like a power metal or progressive metal template. So is Becoming the Archetype the first and only band that you can think of? Because they definitely are for me. A band that took power metal ideas and threw mid-2000s death metal hardcore vocals on top of it. Yes. Has anyone else done that? I'm sure somebody else has, but probably not to the success it that doesn't they come have. to mind does it not really it's it, again it, they're very unique I, I can definitely say that there really aren't any other bands that sound like becoming the archetype they did what they did very differently and i think that's cool i think that's one of the best aspects of the band like if you're a hardcore fan of become the archetype that's what you appreciate that, that they're doing something different than really any of the other bands in their genre are doing but I worry that they don't capture the same audience with each album. And I think ultimately that may have been what killed them. Is that like Terminate Damnation, Physics of Fire, and even Dichotomy are for totally different audiences. And so it's almost like there's not like... Like it's almost like that they captured the fickle fan base with each one. 
But I think with this band, I always have a hard time liking the album that comes after the album I liked. You know, I, I think that that's always been a problem. It's like an on and off switch for me. They don't lock in from the audience perspective. Once I, you yeah. attach yourself to something that you like, you don't really get more of that. Not not really. So, like, you get a little bit of Terminate Damnation back on Dichotomy, and I think that's great. You know, that that's why I like Dichotomy so much, because it took the potential that Physics of Fire had with its, like, progressive elements, and it integrated them into the Terminate Damnation sound, and that's how you get Dichotomy. It's the love child of those two records, but it has the good production quality of Terminate Damnation. Or, you know, again, it could just be Devin Townsend. I'm not sure. Becoming the archetype doesn't do what Norma Jean does so well. They don't give me enough of the last album to get me interested in the new album. They just give me a new set of songs and say, this is the record. If you don't like it, then we're sorry. Yeah, that's basically the attitude. I think these are guys that write music for them. And that's totally fine. It might sound like we're being really, really negative on Becoming the Archetype, but I, I don't want to shy away from the fact that they are all very skilled musicians that make a lot of really cool musical choices. Absolutely. This is yeah. clean, technical, heavy. By all accounts, we should love it. We should, you know, like, you know, if Jeff were here, he'd be like totally probably going nuts over some of this shit. Hey, y'all. But for some reason, it just doesn't connect fully. There's yeah. something that's missing, and I admit, I can't really tell you what it is. Yeah, I think it doesn't connect across the albums. I think the albums themselves as individual experiences are great. Some of them not as great as others, but still pretty good. I think the issue is that like, when we were listening to the discography to get ready for the episode, it's not as seamless as it is with other bands. I almost feel like I'm listening to different bands for each album, and that may have been the whole point. But it's not something that really settled well with me because it's hard to it's hard to listen to all of it and being so different and having to put myself in a different mindset for each release. You know, I still fucking did it because we love you guys. And that's why we do this. But uh, it, it was hard, you know, to go from Terminate Damnation to Physics of Fire and be like, what? You know, and then having to jump back into the Terminate Damnation pilot seat for Dichotomy. It was it was rough. But then we didn't really hear anything from Becoming the Archetype for a couple of years after that. Well, except for there was this one song, which I have to mention. It's not really an album, but they released this song as a single, which has, like, the best fucking title in the entire world. And that song is called Necrotizing Fasciitis. <laughs> and it's it's a straight, like, death grind song. I don't, I don't know how it fits, but it fits. Necrotizing Fasciitis is just a straight death grind song like full of distorted vocals and blast beats and shit it sounds like they're just having a lot of fun like they were like fuck it let's just do the exact opposite of everything we've ever done in our career because why not because why not you know you, you guys sat down at practice and you guys came up with necrotizing fasciitis and you're like you know what we're putting it out we're putting it out yeah let's just do it it'll hold people over it's only like a two minute song but definitely worth checking out if everything we said about this band turned you off if you're not into like progressive shit or whatever just listen to this one song <laughs> like this this is awesome however it did not do what most singles do between albums 
it didn't prepare us at all for what we were going to get in 2011, which is an album called Celestial Completion. Interesting side story about necrotizing fasciitis. Whenever I listen to these discographies, I play a game on on Steam called uh, Audio Surf, and that's a that's a program that takes your MP3s and turns them into like a racetrack type of thing, and you have to match colors and stuff. Uh, I find it very very fun to digest albums like that, and uh, you know with, with with become the archetypes, the song structures, and how the songs kind of breathe. It made for a really relaxing experience until fucking necrotizing fasciitis shows up and it's like holy shit it's like it's like you're playing it's like you're playing on easy mode on guitar hero and then the next song comes on and it's like fucking expert mode you're welcome yeah this is like 11:30 at night and i was about to go to bed but then i was like well now i can't fucking sleep cuz this song scared me to death i have to beat necrotizing fasciitis yeah not easy hard to match all those colors there's like insane amount of chunks in there 2011 celestial completion oh man what do we got going on here <laughs> this is some savior machine shit right <laughs> uh you might think so hearing the first song i mean there there's no nice way to say it this record's all over the fucking place i'm not really sure what happened between 2008 and 2011 but this doesn't sound anything like any of the previous three art records which is something that we've been talking about, you know, this whole time, how this band is like always radically different. But like the other albums I was always able to justify is like it's radically different in a good way. But like this is the most up its own ass becoming the archetype album I've ever heard. There's some things that I like about it. Like I like that it's like mostly like distorted death vocals throughout. Like Jason Wisdom sounds like somebody pissed in his Cheerios on this one. It's very angry, but it's a super angry vocalist trapped in a progressive metal album. And the results are very strange. It's like a very much like, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me sort of situation where it sounds like fucking Dream Theater is trying to murder Jason Wisdom. And he's like fighting back with just his bass. If anybody could do it, man. Well, yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, as awesome as that description sounds, the album really isn't that awesome. It, it takes you in so many different directions all at once. Because for being a progressive metal album, the songs are not that long. They're like four minutes, five minutes. You know, it, it just, uh, you know, my fucking, when I'm listening to an album like this and I'm trying to get through a discography, it gets very frustrating anytime I see a song title that's like blah, 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 part one. I'm like, oh, Jesus, fuck. You know, like. I'm with you on that. If it's not one composition and you're cutting it up into pieces, parts are irrelevant. It really is. And, and it's just the stuff they're playing is very complicated. They, they bring in a lot of different instrumentation into this album. But there was a single moment where I had to just put the headphones down and walk away for a day or two. And that song, kids, is called Cardiac Rebellion. It starts off all right. It's heavy. I like it. Got a, lot, got a couple of things going on. And then they start bringing horns into, or the, well, first they, they bring in this like weird ska beat. And then before you know it, <laughs> the world does not truly is, know your hatred of ska. This is the moment where BTA is so up their ass that they actually ended up jumping the fucking shark and go into a fucking ska section 
that just makes my fucking soul bleed. Jason Wisdom, if you're listening, please explain yourself. And I'm like, I'm not saying you have to. I'm asking nicely. I don't think it's his fault. I think Jason Wisdom is my favorite part about this album. But everything else is just so like, why does it all have to be here? What happened to Terminate Damnation where we just wanted to play cool riffs and get people get people moving around doing a circle pit or whatever? This is just like so absorbed in its own concept. I don't even know what the concept is at this point. I know I know half the track titles are impossible to pronounce. And like maybe it's just because I'm stupid and I'm a meathead and I don't get it. That's probably what it is. This is probably like some sort of fucking masterpiece and I just don't get it. As time goes on, I think that Becoming the Archetype is a group of musicians who approach the album the same way that power metal bands or thrash metal bands in the 80s approached records. Just the attitude and how the albums were put together. Think about Iron Maiden. Think about Number of the Beast. Think about how that album came to be sequenced the way that it is. The band had to make choices specific to that style. Take that mindset of how the songs are laid out and apply it to death metal or melodic death metal or metalcore. You might get an album that sounds like this. I just don't have anything to say, man. I was done after Cardiac Rebellion. I was like, I'm sorry, guys. You fucking lost me here. I've held on this long. I've been, I've held on for six years. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's me. But I I officially broke up with Becoming the Archetype on this song. And uh, I did power through the rest of the album. Luckily, that stuff never came back. And it's not even that I hate ska. Okay, yeah, I hate ska. I can understand incorporating it into certain things. But I feel like this album is death by incorporation. Right. They've incorporated so many different elements together that none of it makes any sense. This makes sense if they're recording in Five Iron Frenzies in the next room and they're like, you know what? Why not? Dan Terry's going to hate it, but everyone else will think it's funny. Well, you know, we're not there yet, but eventually there will be people that are like, is Dan Terry going to like this? 2012, I am. Now, this is very interesting. After Celestial Completion, I assume that Jason Wisdom escaped from Dream Theater and survived somehow. And he went off to greener pastures, which we'll find out later on was a very groove, electronic-influenced pasture. Everyone else in the band quits except for the two guitarists. Well, Solid State calls, and they're like, hey, where's that new album, bitch? And they're like, uh, let me call you back. (laughs) So they assemble a whole new lineup, new vocalist, new bass player, you know, a new drummer. They put on an album called I Am. I was struck immediately by how similar the new vocalist sounds to Jason Wisdom. Like when they were in the hiring process, they were like, okay, it has to, it has to sound like that. You know, it has to sound different. Or I mean, I'm sorry. It has to sound exactly the same. I disagree. I don't think he sounds that much like him. When I heard the first single off of this album, the planet maker, I thought for sure that it really was Jason Wisdom that he had rejoined the band. It's not exactly the same, but it's very similar. But what I liked about this album is this was actually like a cool drink of water for me on a hot day. Because of what I just suffered through on Celestial Completion, I was like, God damn, these guys are really good. They, they write good riffs, catchy, memorable, good good solos. 
good breakdowns. They, they do it all really well. Why don't they just do that? And on this record, that's exactly what they did. This album's not really anything special by 2012 standards. But this works. The previous albums, they work if you adjust your mindset and approach the listening experience like a power metal album. But it's not power metal. It's melodic death metal or metalcore. This is just straight 2012, heavy guitars, pre-degent. I wouldn't say pre, but... It was about at the same time. It wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really connected to that scene. I think that I Am works because it's more like Terminate Damnation. I don't know if it was young blood coming into the band or, or what it was. Just keep in mind, like, these guys still had to learn how to play all that bullshit from the other albums, too. You know, so they're they're playing a mix of, of everything, I would assume, at live shows. And then they've got these new songs on I Am. But these songs work in the same way that the songs on Terminate Damnation work. And I would actually argue that they work better because they're not trying to necessarily prove anything to anybody this time. They're just like, we're a heavy band. They wrote a whole bunch of really heavy shit, and they put it on a record. And I think it all sounds great. I actually really enjoyed I Am so much more than I thought I would. I actually dreaded getting up to this album because I hadn't really paid that much attention to it when it came out, but I knew we had to get through the whole discography. So I was like, okay, uh, let me get this over with. And I popped it in and like within within two minutes, I'm kind of bobbing my head and kind of enjoying myself while I'm working. And, and I'm like, there's nothing wrong with this at all. This album succeeds at being a metal album. Yeah, more, more please. You know, it sounds great. <laughs> it's, very, it's very straightforward. And there are still some like techie progressive elements thrown in there, but they're done in a much more sincere way. This gave me a real plea for purging vibe, which yeah. I know it's about the same time, but that style of metal that I miss, this album is another entry into that catalog. And that kids really is it. I think they ended out on a bang, but I don't think that this record did well just because it's technically not really becoming the archetype. I mean, it is. That's what it says on the cover, but... It's it's so new that I could see fans shitting on it just because it wasn't Jason Wisdom. It wasn't it wasn't the same band technically. It's a it's a very good facsimile though, and I think that's the best way to put it is that it's a facsimile of become the archetype. I think this band would have more credibility had they had they put some albums out after this, but I think this was it. I I almost view this album as a contract fulfillment more than anything else which is a shame because there is actually some pretty good material on here. It is quite literally becoming the archetype in name alone. But that's okay. They did a lot better of a job with this than a lot of bands do when they change their whole lineup. Final thoughts on becoming the archetype. I think if you like progressive, interesting, and technical music, you'll like becoming the archetype. At the very least, you'll find yourself liking two or three of their albums. And the only reason you didn't like the other ones is maybe they weren't aimed at you. So I think the only, really the only issue with this band is that I think they always had trouble knowing which audience to play to, and maybe they didn't care. Maybe they didn't have trouble. They just never aimed it at the same person twice. And that is the one major flaw with this band. They don't ever aim at the same group of musicians or the same group of listeners or the same group of heavy metal fans. Their music feels like it's for them. And if you're into that sort of thing, then this is for you. Dan, what is your album of the week? My album of the week is actually War by Demon Hunter. Not because I love it, but just because I've listened to it a few times this week when I haven't been listening to uh, B-52. 
becoming the archetype that is. Speaking of Ska and how much Dan doesn't like it. You piece of shit. Five Iron Frenzy 2, The Electric Boogaloo. The irony here would be if your album of the week was Tony Danza, Volume 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, then the stars would align. I'd be afraid to drive home. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to die tonight. Hey, there's a Starbucks right across the street from a Starbucks. So if you've been listening to Discography Discussion for a while and you've always wondered, can I request a band for them to talk about? Like, I got this band that I know about. They haven't talked about them yet. Can I request that? You absolutely can. Uh, if you ever have a question for one of us personally, send it to us. Uh, you can email us at show at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook under Discography Discussion. We have a Discography Discussion official group on Facebook that you can join. Just ask to join the group, and uh, I will approve it, uh, unless you're like a weird porn bot, in which case I you know, will creep on your profile and then decide whether or not to approve it. <laughs> um, but you can also find us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can find me personally on Twitter under Discuss Metal Dan. You can find Joe at Discuss Metal Joe. Um, just there's so many different ways you can get a hold of us. We have our own Discord server. There's a link to it in the show notes. Click on that link and uh, we will approve it. And then you can chat with us on Discord in real time. I've got that thing on my phone. So every time you post something, I get a notification. So if you have any questions or just want to chat, hit us up. We're always down. And on that note, this has been episode 114 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discussmetal. We have some sweet perks. 